Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Podcast. We're back ahead of Ireland's three-test series against South Africa. We're delighted to be joined by former Ireland coach Eddie O'Sullivan today. We're going to be looking at Ireland's playing style under Joe Schmidt and some of the criticism he's faced in that regard, as well as a selection and previewing a little bit about South Africa. Eddie, thanks many for joining us. Uh, you obviously have a, a quite a few experiences against the Springboks, some wins and maybe some tougher times down in, uh, down in South Africa in 2004. How was that towards? Last time Ireland obviously went down there, two defeats and two tests, but probably ran them quite close. Yeah, um, it's definitely a difficult tour. And I think that the, the fact that it's three tests this time is a big challenge. But South Africa is very difficult to tour. It's quite an intimidating environment. And the physicality uh, of the South African team traditionally against what is an Irish team at the end of the season always tells in the long run. Um, my experience there was we had two tests we lost, one in Bloemfontein at altitude and one in Cape Town. But there were two good tests and that we were in the game is uh, pretty much right through. Um, I always felt that they were really the foundation for beating the Springboks the following autumn when they came to Dublin. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew leaving South Africa, if, if we learned from that experience, we could get them in, in the autumn and it turned out to be that way. But getting a result in South Africa is a massive challenge. Um, as I say, it's just that environment that makes it very hard to win there. And uh, this time is no, no different this time around. Is it very intimidating? Is, is that what it makes it so difficult? Certainly some venues are more intimidating than others. I remember the first test in Bloemfontein. It's quite an intimidating venue. The grounds, the crowds outside, they play a lot of, let sounds silly, a lot of rock music pounding in the background and you have the, the big brides going on and mm. these big South Africans drinking beer and shouting abuse at you and pounding the bus as you arrive. It's, it's all part of the environment, you have to deal with it. But, you know, it's just one of those venues you go to and you go, geez, this is going to be tough before you even get off the bus. And um, it, it's, it's when, you're, when you're kind of in another country on tour together, it's a strange environment because, you know, there's a bit of a them and us and the local media probably give you a hard time as well. And it's just a different place, a different space. And if you can get a good energy in the group and things are going well, and you don't have to win, it's just people feel things are going well, it can be a very productive tour. You mightn't get a result on the tour, but you can put the foundations in for results down the track the following year. Having said that, if it goes south, then you start getting injuries or you're losing matches or things are going wrong, it can build up under pressure and the touring are quite ugly at the end of the day. Um, so that's, that's, that's traditional touring for every country, it's no different for Ireland, but South Africa is one of those places that get under your skin and, and put you in that place. Yeah. Is it difficult for a head coach to motivate players now because like, they're dropping like flies, Johnny Sexton's out now, there's a few more injuries with the Kearney brothers. Mm. Players are tired after a long World Cup season, can it be difficult to motivate them? No, I, I, two things. One, it's not unusual to be go on tour at the end of a season short of a number of players. It happens just the way the attritional nature of the game. Um, you end up with guys injured at the end of the season, a statistical probability. Having said that, um, I think as long as you have some good leadership on the tour, it's a great opportunity for the guys coming in who were, you know, maybe a month ago thinking they were going to be on holidays now, or now, you know, heading down to South Africa. Um, probably one of the best ones for me was that, like, take Gavin Duffy came on the tour in 2004. Um, he really wasn't going to feature two tests in two weeks. He was there, but... It, was part of the experience having him there. Um, he played well for, for that season with, with Harlequins, and I think he was, you know, ready to come into the scene. But suddenly, in the second test, the morning of the second test, um, uh, Jordan Murphy went down with a chest infection, and uh, he'd come onto the bench. Funnily enough, he was downtown shopping with his dad. We spent about two hours trying to track him down. We got him eventually. He was sat on the bench, and Gervin Dempsey, who started, got a finger in his eye, and Gavin got his first cap in in, in, in Newlands after 10 minutes and he had a fantastic game. But, you know, th- these are guys like this, like Kieran O'Halloran and Matt Healy who weren't in the shake-up 
and even Ian Madigan, who thought he might be, wasn't. Now suddenly, boom, they're down in they're down in South Africa, and it's all on. And you know, that's a great opportunity for them now because they probably felt they played themselves into that position during the season. Didn't work out for them. Now they can send a message to the coach. Yeah, you should have had me in the first place, which is all good. That's positive for the for the squad. Mm. Joe, Joe Schmidt's probably in a strange position though. Like, there's chances there for players, of course, and guys to make their name. But Joe's in a strange enough position that he's under a little bit of pressure. There's criticism growing against him, certainly based on the original original squad selection and probably the playing style because Connacht have been playing this brand of rugby that's so enjoyable to watch and people are saying, why can't Ireland play like that? Is the criticism fair on Joe? There's, there are two different questions. Like One question is about his, his selection and some people felt that some of the Connacht players had played their way in. It's I, I'd always be reticent to criticise a coach for picking one player over another because at the end of the day, uh, the guy with the most information is the coach. He's closer to him than anybody else. We can all have our opinions looking over the fence. So I'd, I'd be reticent about you know saying he should have picked one guy over another. Um, you really have to let the coach you know cut his cloth on that front. If he thinks the guy's a better fit, then that's his his, uh, his prerogative. In terms of the way Ireland are playing, I think there is a, a couple of areas that have been up for discussion for a while now. Um, even to get away from the attack side of things, you go to the defence side of the, of the football. You know, we, we struggle in the World Cup. We were caught out wide uh, against Argentina, badly caught. That was highlighted, you know, before the game in certain quarters, and it happened to be the case against Argentina. We came out of the World Cup, we all knew that had to be fixed. Um, this case left and wasn't replaced. Uh, but the Six Nations, the same issues arose again in the Six Nations out wide. The issues are out wide when teams got us, got us particularly inside our 22 and could get the ball wide against us. There was big issues, and you know things like teams like England, like England got two tries in the space of seven or eight minutes, and Twickenham really killed the game, tore mm. us apart. Uh, even Scotland got two tries against us. Even Italy got two tries against us. All again coming out wide, you know our, our spacing around the rock, our numbers and our compressions left that space out wide, and we couldn't shut it down. And that's something that was there. In the World Cup was there in the Six Nations, so that that sort of criticism is reasonable. You know, why are we not defending better than we have been, or why are we not taking a step? No, Andy Farrell has come in. The very interesting will his stamp on the defence, how that will change. Will we get our balance better than it was? Will we shore up those outside channels? Will we change our line speed? Will we play up and in more? Because we haven't played up and in traditionally, except what Les Kiss liked to do was use bolters out of the line, make a good read, and Brian Driscoll was world-class at making reads on his own and, and killing the football but um, you know maybe we haven't that experience anymore on the line but see what Farrell brings now and that's probably a, a good talking point is how we defend in South Africa if we came out of South Africa and our defence had taken a, a bound forward you'd say that's that's been a good investment but mm. that that's a question to be answered yet on attack I think Joe has been defending his side he's saying they're making a lot of passes 180 average per game in Six Nations but probably another stat that's relevant to that is the number of rooks they're hitting 115 rooks on average per game so that kind of signifies what you're actually doing with your tactics on top of that they had the most possession on average of any team in, in the Six Nations so that kind of signifies what they're really doing in attack the, the passes number isn't quite the whole story is it? No it, and if you look at the way Ireland played if they've used under Joe Schmidt as he did with Leinster very successfully what they call a three rook rotation which is a very attritional way of playing the game. It's about winning collision after collision after collision and building pressure on the opposition, relentless pressure with the ball in hand, great accuracy at the rock, great accuracy at the breakdown, good presentation. And building that pressure where eventually you get mismatches against the opposition or they can't get off their line um, and you get your hands free in an offload or maybe you get an overlap. But it's about pressure, pressure, pressure based on 
you know, physicality and attrition. And it's worked well, it worked very well for Leinster under Josh Schmidt, it's worked well for Ireland, you could say we won two championships. But the kind of teams that it doesn't work against, a team that can match you physically. And if you go back over the championships we did, when the teams that, that we couldn't get across the line on in, in that shape were Wales and England, who are, are able to match us physically. Um, we thought maybe this Six Nations after the World Cup, we would see that develop a little bit. It hasn't really developed that much. It's, it's still the same shape, which kind of leads us into South Africa, which are a team that you know are very hard to beat up physically. That's the one thing they bring to the game, no matter what their tactics are, physicality is their, is their hallmark. And if we try and take them on physically and break them down through attrition rugby, it will be very difficult, I think. Mm. So it will be interesting to see if in South Africa now, if we start to change our shape a little bit and try to move the ball away more from the contact area and maybe box a little more clever rather than more physical with them. Yeah, like that's really interesting because, again, Joe Schmidt defended maybe what Ireland are doing by saying it's actually hard to maybe bring in different style of players if they don't have that particular skill. Like, is that a fair defence for him? He's saying he doesn't have enough time maybe to do exactly what he wants to do with his team. Could, I, he, could Ireland play that shape, that conic shape? I think you can because I think it's, it's after all a shape, it's a setup. Like you see soccer teams go out every week and they play different formations. They play 4-4-2, they play 4-5-1. I don't know, I don't know, yeah. you know, I'm not a soccer guy, but you hear that talk, which is basically a shape. And when I was with Ireland, we played uh, the same shape Connacht played against England a lot because England gave you that space on the outside channels. They played a tight defence and they played soft on the corners. And, and, and Connacht this year did that really well and they stuck to their guns. They, they played three channels, they kept numbers wide. They had a channel in the middle who could take it up or could pass out of it. And it caused lots of problems for, the, for defences. But it was just about a setup. You know, yeah. It's still about passing, it's still about carrying, it's about winning rocks. You know, cleaning out, nothing like that changes, it's just a shape you play in. Ireland's shape, they play more of what we call the three-rock rotation. They hit, they come around the corner, they hit back again and they load up players and they try to get wide off the third rock all the time. If that doesn't happen, they play on again. But it's about relentless pressure. It's not so much about space, it's more about building pressure through, through physicality. And that's why you've, you know, a lot of passes but a lot of rocks. You're not looking too far beyond one pass maybe two passes on a collision. When you see with Connacht, you're playing four or five passes sometimes to get to the next rock. Like how, would that, how does that shape, say, stress the defence? Like, well, a very different way to what Ireland might do? It's very simple. Like, if you play the three-channel attack, you've got, usually got four forwards in the middle of the field. Yeah. You've got four people, well, usually two backs, two forwards. Yeah. There's, your, there's your outside channel here again, two backs, two forwards. And, and these fig configurations can change on what they do. And then you've got your halfback, who's basically servicing the three channels, and you've got two playmakers. And they basically link the ball. Now, if you defend that rock, and you've got a lot of people here compressed at the rock. Tight to the rock. Tight to the rock. As Leinster probably were against Connacht two times. One pass, two pass. You've got four people out in that space. Yeah. And that's where Leinster struggled against Connacht. And you could see like just two passes, and suddenly the fullback's got to come up to close the gate. The space in behind. You saw like uh, the score for Healy. Yeah. in the second half and the first half in this corner against Leinster the ball went dead that ball stayed in I think Healy didn't know it try yeah. because the full back had to come up and close the gate and the sweeper here can't get across that quickly he's got to worry about the middle and they can also sometimes if they hit the middle and you get your numbers wrong let's say you put too many people on this side and they spot it they can return even though they've come from this side they can return okay. again and get you because they always have that option there obviously the option to come back because these guys stay there they don't go anywhere yeah. they live out here and they just look at the numbers and that defence, the tight, soft defence, that kills it. Like mm. England used it right in the noughties and we just kill them all the time up those channels. You have a choice here. You can 
when that ball is on this side of the field, this defence can come up and cut them off very aggressively. So chop them off, shut them down. Or the other option is that when they, that ball leaves that area, that these guys don't chase, they, they drop back. And you play more of a drop back defence, you keep a presence in the outside channels. Okay, it's almost like rugby league where you're... Yeah, there is. There's an element of that of looking up and, not, and dropping back and mirroring the, the attack. That's yeah. the way to defend that. But if you play close to the rock and you, put, you say there's no way they're going to get through us, that's fine, but they will trouble you out in the corners. And you saw Connacht doing that to a lot of teams this year. Yeah. Just last one on, on that shape, though. Like you mentioned you use it against England. Like how, how long did it take to implement that? Joe's saying he doesn't have the time to maybe change things, but... Well, I remember we, we put it in, actually, the first time we put it in against England was the 0-3 game in, in Lansdowne Road where they beat us for the Grand Slam. And we, we probably were on the cusp of getting it right uh, around that time, there was 0-3, but by the time we played them again in 0-4, we had it locked and loaded, and 0-4, 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, 0-7, we got them all the time with it. We lost in a way in Twickenham because we had a lot of injuries, our midfield was pretty fractured that day, but... As long as they play, as long as they gave us that space, we were in a position to, to load up and take it. Yeah. And that's what, that's what attack is about, is looking at what the defence gives you and then building your, your shape to take advantage of what you're given. Okay. And you have to have to change all of that. At the international level, if you play the same defensive shape all the time, teams will get you by using a different attacking shape. If you use the same attacking shape all the time, teams will shut you down because they can anticipate your yeah. attack and their defensive shape will mirror it. And that's what tactics is all about. But, um, you know, I think, and I said this uh, last week, uh, uh, publicly at a function, that, yeah, Connacht will find it more difficult next season. Why? Teams will adapt. They will say, well, Connacht did this last year. They try and do it again. We're going to take it away. And that'll, that'll be interesting. I talked to John Muldoon, he said, yeah, you know, they know that they're going to have to change things up next year. They can't do exactly the same thing. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah, it's fascinating. Really interesting to see what Ireland uh, throw out in, in terms of shape against South Africa. I guess a really important aspect of that is who's actually in that shape for Ireland, yeah. who's in the team. Uh, again, Joe's probably being criticised for being a conservative selector. Is that fair at times, do you think? No, I don't think it's fair, to be honest. The reality of being an international coach is you have like 10 or 11 games a year um, and you've got to win them all. It's just that simple. Most, like all of those games, maybe one game a year, maybe against a tier two nation in the autumn where you have a little bit of wriggle room, where you can change things around. But by and large, in six nations are touring the Southern Hemisphere, it's full metal jacket. And much as you'd like to tinker with things, you don't get the opportunity. And the truth of the matter is, at international level for Ireland, given the, the, the number of your players, the depth of your squad, the reality is that most of the time your transitions are forced upon you by injuries. Yeah. You know, so to say that oh well you know we're gonna jimmy the team around in the Six Nations and see what happens, well that's never a good plan. And if you saw the Six Nations, you know, the guys that came through were based on injuries, like the classic one, like the, the probably the, the guy who jumped off the page in the Six Nations was Ulton Delam. Yeah. Ulton Delam had a phenomenal season with Connacht, but had Mike McCarthy not got concussed. Yeah. And you have to give Joe Schmidt credit for picking Delam. He said, There's the guy I want. Yeah. He came through, yeah. he delivered. Excellent decision. But the land probably wouldn't have seen the light of day on if Mike McCarthy hadn't got concussed. And that's the reality of international rugby. And at the same now you've got, you know, Matt Healy, people are jumping up and down, Tyrion Allen, all good cases. But you gotta the coach has gotta say, look, this is the guys I'm gonna to go to war with in South Africa. Now there's been injuries, now they're in. Now it's their opportunity. Mm. Like the rubber hits the road now next week and at uh, the end of the weekend and they've got to deliver if they're asked to. And they may not see they may not see game time because you know, there are other guys ahead of them even in the coaches thinking. So I'd, n I'd never jump all over a coach regarding selections. Now, if you say, 
or we're going to make all these progressions and we're going to blood new players um, regardless, then you've got to do it. But in reality, when, when, you f when you're in there, you find out that really it's the only injuries that put you in that position where you have to play your hand. It's not a bad thing, but that's the way it plays out, I think, for most international coaches. Yeah. So if you, were, if you were to look at a possible predicted starting 15 for Joe, it's going to be along very much predictable lines. So, They're not yeah, going to be big I surprises. So. I mean, the, the pack is not rocket science. I think, you know, it's going to be, the front row is going to be um, basically McGrath, it's going to be uh, Best, and it's going to be, be Ross. I think the second row, Toner, is a shoe in. I think he'll, I think he'll go f for uh, Dunnock Ryan there. He's a very abrasive yeah. player. He's very experienced. Um, and then the back row is going to be Certainly, he slip going to be um, CJ Stander and probably Henderson in the back row. No natural open side is that term well, overused? Playing, is you're that playing relevant? South Africa, like there's nobody going to be under six foot four or five in the South Africa yeah. back row or, or probably the team. So, and you're going to need a presence in the lineout. You know, if you bring three and a half lineout jumpers, say he's got Henderson as a jumper, he's got Donegal Ryan, and he's got obviously uh, um, Devin Toner, and he has. Two other options like a Jamie Heaslip or a CJ Stander, he can go to in a pinch. That gives him like three and a half, four, four three, three plus two half jumpers, which takes pressure off your three main jumpers, gives you more options in the lineout. I think that's the way the pack will crack out. So Conor Murray probably picks himself at nine, but what about the rest of the back line? There's a, a selection dilemma maybe with that fullback slot on uh, with Rob Carney's injury. He needs to pick someone maybe out of position there, does he? Yeah, I think there is. I think um, the 10 slot is obviously. Paddy Jackson is the guy who's in line, although it probably Madigan probably a little more comfortable in the George Schmidt system, having played with Leinster and played with Ireland more. But I think he'll go with Jackson based on the fact he was the first guy on the plane. Um, so the midfield is very interesting because, you know, the original selection you have Rob Kearney a fullback, that's one fullback. Uh, the other two fullbacks are in the centre, you know, that's uh, basically Jarrod Payne, who's played a good bit of fullback this year, and Robbie Henshaw. Now, which guy do you put back there? I mean, I can't see him going with Tierno Halloran off the bat, you know, the first a new cap in the first game. Yes. So he's got to adjust his midfield. Um, my gut on it is that the, the trade-offs you'll have to make is that Jarrod Payne is probably the most comfortable full-back with himself and Henshaw at the moment, play there more. Uh, not that Robbie couldn't play there, but I don't think he's in the same space as, as, as um, Jarrod Payne is. But if he puts Payne back to full-back, it changes his defensive dynamic because Payne is exceptionally smart at playing that outside channel on yeah. defence, the 13 channel, hardest place in the field to defend. So I think he won't put Payne back to full-back, he'll put Henshaw back to full-back and then he'd probably go with Luke Marshall in the centre and you'd have an all-Ulster midfield playing together. Yeah, that's which nice Which makes sense, yeah, they know each other. And then let Henshaw trade as well as a, uh, at full-back, even though probably, as I said, Payne probably more natural there at the moment. But I think Henshaw is well able for it. So I think that's where it'll break. And then the wings, I think, you know, Andrew Trimble and, and Keith Earls, no, no rocket science there. Yeah. Would you be tempted to go for maybe a Matt Healy, a f pure finisher, or is it maybe just too much of a risk? Is there risk involved in throwing him in? Well, to be fair, like if you were going to drop Andrew Trimble or you're going to drop, which people don't think of, you're going to drop Andrew Trimble or, or Keith Earls and you sit him down and say, we're going to pick this guy's a better finisher on you. Where's, where, where does that stack up? I mean, like Trimble is a phenomenal finisher yeah. and Earls is a great finisher. So like, I think it's a very tough discussion for either of those guys and their experience as well. Like, look, Matt Healy's had a phenomenal season. He's on the plane. He may well get a shot at this. But I think, you know, the two guys that are going to go in on the season campaigners, for good reason, I think it'll be a smart selection. You know, taking a punt on, on Matt Healy in the first test, 
is an unnecessary risk, I think, when you've got guys like Trimble and, you, and, and Errol is available. Yeah, and he may get his chance a little further down the line with, yeah. with injuries. What about South Africa? I mean, it's really hard to know what's coming because they have that new head coach and Alistair could see it. They've quite a few new faces. They've had players retiring. What do you expect from them? Is it going to be more of the same or is there change on the way? Look, it's impossible to say at this moment because there's, there's four variables in the air. There's a new coach, as I said. There's new players in the squad. They have a lot of injuries, so he isn't getting his probably his his he believes his strongest selection. And then there's the court system as well as all part of that. And the background is kind of the unspoken, you know, elephant in the room in terms of who picks, who he doesn't pick. So with all those variables, it's practically impossible to say who will pick in this first test side. It's almost practically impossible to say how we'll play as well, what his shape will be defensively, attack-wise. But probably the one thing we know in South Africa is it will be physical. Like they always play physical rugby. That is their trademark. They're a big team. They everything about them. Super rugby is the same. The national team. That's their trademark. Is they bring huge physicality, attritional rugby, and you know on the hard grounds in South Africa, um, it's not a pretty place to, to play. And you've got to basically expect an onslaught. And I think he'll want. Coach, he'll want that first up. That they're bringing the game to Ireland and they're putting on a physical mark because that will set how he stall in terms of that. You know. We're still South Africa. We're still playing the South Africa way. You know, what he does with his defence and his attack and what he wants to build in terms of his shape is different. But the one thing we can guarantee is, is uh, I would say, hugely attritional uh, three matches. Yeah. There are actually a couple of new players. We, we're going to run through Fafta Clerk. He's, he's the new scrum half. And Lionel Mapu in the centre. So there are potentially new elements that aren't, aren't as going to be as aware of, maybe. Well, I think Courtsy doesn't know either. <laughs> you know, he's in a kind of a no-man's land as well. He, he, he's picking... He's going to select to him what he thinks is his best hand to play at this moment in time, knowing he's got some injuries and he's got new guys in. But any coach in that position is you're like, there's a certain amount of unknown. And like Joe Schmidt can say, well, we don't know what South Africa are going to do in terms of their tactics and stuff. Um, Courtesy might know his tactics, but he doesn't know how they'll perform. Yeah. You know, they may come under the bar from, they may shoot the, the moon. He doesn't know, and there's a huge amount of, of that maybe suppose the unknown for a new coach with a new a new test team. Um, and that's probably Ireland's best opportunity. Okay. You know, it's probably Ireland's best opportunity that we go out and we deliver a big performance starting with physicality and playing smart and maybe then we we're in the game and the thing about it psychologically at the moment is certainly Ireland are not the favourites to win the test series or even win a test. In a game like that, the most important thing in a game where you're not a favourite is to stay in the game. Stay in the game, stay in the game. You go into the last 10, 15 minutes with a one-score game. Now, let's see what happens. And the pressure builds on them. You know, Ireland haven't won in South Africa, I think, uh, for a long, long time. Never, ever. Ever, yeah. On South African soil. soil. So, like, the, that pressure will build and build on South Africa. So Ireland just put us in a position to stay in the game, where with 10 minutes to go, it could go either way. That's all you can do. And if you can do that, then maybe you, you nick a test. Yeah. But, and the pressure on the South Africans builds and builds, and maybe they crack. It's a new team. Their leadership structure is not in place. The coach doesn't know everybody. You know, this is probably the best time to get them, yeah. if you're going to get them. But a lot of things have to fall into place to create that environment. Opportunity knocks for Ireland. Eddie, thanks a million Cheers. for joining us. Really appreciate it. Loads of fun ahead with Ireland on their three-test series against South Africa. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and tune in next week.